Hello, uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, uh, particularly snotty uh, Ian Lewins today, um, one of the Children's Emergency Department consultants in Derby. Uh, and it's my pleasure to be joined uh, today by Dr. Rachel Smith, who's a paediatric registrar with us in Derby. Good afternoon, Rachel. How are Good you? Good afternoon, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, so we inspired by a presentation that you did recently, we thought we'd talk a bit about hypo glycemia yes um and just to be clear this is hypoglycemia outside the neonatal period so yes. all the neonatologists can turn <laughs> off now. um so i guess the first question is what what do we mean by hypoglycemia so I suppose um, that, as you say, in the neonatal context, people might be used to allowing for a slightly lower, uh, lower blood glucose level. Um, but uh, in the in the pediatric population in children, I suppose we would generally regard a normal blood glucose as being, say, from three point nine up to about seven point nine eight ish, perhaps, and we'd be happy to class that as normal. Below that, um, and particularly um, the, well, I suppose. Uh, um, below 3.5 you'd be a bit concerned that this is this is looking like hypoglycemia um and that might be for a variety of reasons um but you'd certainly want to be checking uh, perhaps double checking that result um from from say a, a blood glucose stick to a blood gas or a true blood glucose yeah and it's interesting i, I sort of saw something on twitter recently somebody ran a poll to say mm. okay pediatricians what do you accept as hypoglycemia mm. and there was quite a bit of difference in what people so i think the three options were two 2.5 three yeah and there was sort of quite a wide variability between those which yeah. is interesting which kind of suggests maybe we don't know what true hypoglycemia is it's yeah absolutely i mean i suppose if you were to take uh say 105 year olds at random you know what exactly is their their random blood glucose at any one given time i suppose trend is important perhaps uh, for the child who comes in and has a, a, lots of our children are getting uh, blood glucose checked in the ambulance aren't they these days um and i suppose for the one who comes in that's a bit borderline repeating that might be helpful in terms of establishing is this was it just borderline at 3.9 or actually is it on its way down and this is something that we genuinely need to be looking at clinically okay um and when we check actually that's really sort of important and relevant because certainly locally all the paramedic crews if they've got any unwell child mm. check a glucose yeah whereas it's not necessarily something that we would absolutely everybody comes through the ed gets a glucose and who should have a glucose is also I think yeah debatable yeah I mean I guess I, I would imagine that most for example wheezers would not be likely to have a blue, glu blue glucose check and I think that's um makes a lot of sense um but for ha perhaps for example um your child with a prolonged period of diarrhea and vomiting for example where there's been a, a pretty good history that's been very little oral intake it might be worth checking in that circumstance or the child who's perhaps floppy and lethargic where you're looking at that child and wondering clinically whether this is in the context of sepsis on context of sepsis or um actually there might be something else going on um yeah, we, we do have a long standing healthy debate <laughs> with our endocrine colleagues as yeah. to whether everybody should have it um and again this is something that i put on twitter a while back and, and sort of says look who routinely does a, a glucose mm. um and actually some places would everybody gets a glucose some places the medically on un medically unwell get a glucose mm. and in some places only a certain number of the medics so i think there's some wide variability in who who gets a glucose 
and I think we can probably argue that one till the cows come home. Yeah. Um, so why does hypoglycemia matter? So what if my blood sugar's a bit low? So in the context of a child, I think children generally are that bit more vulnerable to the effects of hypoglycemia. Their brain um, has a usually, you know, a developing paediatric brain um, has a higher metabolic rate, has a higher glucose demand. Um, and so children may become symptomatic that much more quickly with hypoglycemia um, and may be vulnerable to the uh, the um, longer standing effects of that if it becomes particularly profound and is untreated for a particularly long period of time. And of course, I think lots of adults have symptomatic hypoglycemia and have had perhaps the experience of that. It's unpleasant to start with, but also clinically, um, it means that they might be that bit more unwell and might need to, um, might require that next level of management uh, rather than... Um, perhaps especially if they're not already able to tolerate oral intake to sign that actually we need to be acting a bit sooner um, and doing a bit more to ensure their uh, adequate uh, glucose load and of course you know when we're thinking of APLS and seizures mm. you know it's always DEFG yes. don't ever forget the glucose yeah. could this be a hypoglycemic mm, or absolutely. hyperglycemic seizure um, okay so one thing I can never, ever, 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 and probably will never, ever remember, maybe I don't need to remember, is all the blood tests I need to do. All I know is it's quite a lot. Yes. And <laughs> quite a lot of different bottles. So if I send two or three of each bottle, I'll probably cover most things. Really a good principle, yeah. So what sort of investigations do I need to be doing for a hypoglycemic child? Then? So I think probably it's important to say that I guess um, each trust most likely will have their own guideline or there may be um, a central guideline from their local tertiary centre um, that they can consult and so uh, hopefully um, in a pinch you'll be able to access that and have a reasonable sense of, of uh, what bottles you're obtaining and what for. Um, but a lot of the investigations are perhaps, I would say generally they're skewed towards looking for perhaps endocrine and metabolic underlying causes for this hypoglycemia so for example um, cortisol is an important one insulin as well as c-peptide uh, those two always go together um, growth hormone it often features in the uh, the panel and then uh, a lot of the metabolic investigations include things like plasma amino acids free fatty acids i think hydroxybutyrate features as one of them um, and um, um, acyl carnitine often features as well uh, ammonia and i think obviously in your probably in the back of your mind one of the the, the three standard things that you might be sending um, that you might not even have to think of would be a blood gas to check if they're acidotic um, and a lactate is quite helpful as well. That might be featured on your blood gas, but you can send that as a, as a true lab sample as well. And of course, a true blood glucose to go along with all of these tests to prove um, and also, yeah, to prove that they were definitively hypoglycemic at the time and so that you can correlate um, the accuracy and the clinical usefulness of these test results in that uh, in that setting. So are they genuinely hypoglycemic and therefore what do these results mean? And the one thing that we always sort of have to remember, of course, with the ammonia mm. is it's got to go on ice. Yes, it has to and reach the lab fairly quickly. I think usually the guidance here is about 15 to 20 minutes, ideally. So we've got to find ice, mm. which is always fun yeah. uh, and let the lab know that yes. they're coming so yeah. they can process them yeah and ideally if you if you happen to be able to identify someone who could physically run it to the lab that's always better i wouldn't trust the pod with it personally um uh, and then hopefully it's a fairly smooth process ideally from taking the bloods to getting that into the lab within the next 15 minutes um, and then once i've done those can i 
get on and treat the hypoglycemia if the child's symptomatic? So I would say broadly, yes. So I think uh, obviously it's really helpful. The more of those tests you can do before you treat the hypoglycemia, the better. Uh, it might well be that um, sometimes if a child is really difficult to bleed, actually you don't have a lot of choice and you have to treat a lot quicker than that. Uh, but I would say yes, I think as soon as you've got um, these very important blood tests that have to be done while the child is hypoglycemic, then you can get on. And it's a case of how conscious is that child in terms of how you might then choose to treat that hypoglycemia. Um a conscious child, you, you've got options to get them to take oral glucose uh, forms uh, versus a child who actually you really need to get on and give something IV. So that sort of 10% dextrose, mm. bolus and potential infusion. Um, and one of the challenges that, that certainly we have in the, the emergency department is, is getting we off kids. Because mm. <laughs> of course we need we as well, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I guess it's the next available we. Yes. I mean, I suppose, depending on um, how concerned you are that there may be an underlying, for example, a metabolic cause, uh, you're, yeah, part of the um, hypoglycemia screen also includes urine for organic acids. I think it tends to be usually. Um, and I think, um, I suppose, in the context of septic, septic screens, we often think about the context think about the option of a an in and out catheter in order to obtain that urine because we're really keen to get that before we give antibiotics so that we know what we're treating um you might not consider that necessarily straight away in a in, in a child who's hypoglycemic but for example one where there's a really high suspicion uh, that there's something uh, underlying perhaps where they've had hypoglycemic episodes before it might be worth thinking about that or um trying some of the other techniques that uh, the other ed physicians have written about in the past <laughs> the dingle dangle yes indeed <laughs> or, or, or equivalent yeah um and then I, I guess hopefully my child starts to recover mm. and i start to get some results back and i go oh that's interesting i've no idea what to do with that mm. that's often when your know, sort of local metabolic unit comes in extremely yes. helpful absolutely and i think there's always i think it's always the case that there's somebody who's on call even out of hours as, as a um a source of advice uh, in that sort of scenario. Some um, some units, I believe, have guidance that that they also publish within the context of certain known metabolic diseases where you don't have uh, a known diagnosis yet. Um, the metabolic team are invaluable, I think, in terms of the advice they can provide, um, especially if you feel like you're not winning with that hypoglycemia as well. Um, yeah, I think there's several sort of practical challenges for us as well as the sort of the pre-hospital teams as well. Um, in that, if if I as a, a pre-hospital physician or a paramedic see a hypoglycemic child mm. who's unwell, the inclination it tends to be I'll give you some sugar. Yeah. And of course, by the time they've reached me in the emergency department, yeah. the sugar's gone from say 1.6 to five. Yeah. It then becomes tricky to interpret those results, doesn't it? It does, definitely. And I suppose that's where having your... Because actually there may even be a difference between the uh, the blood glucose that gets done uh, via finger prick as they walk in through the door and then the true blood glucose that you get by uh, venous sampling, say, 20 minutes later, because if they've already eaten something, it may be on its way up. And so uh, even if it looked low at the beginning, getting that true blood glucose is really useful. But yes, unfortunately, some uh, having done perhaps a battery of testing, if it's done at a time uh, the patient is not hypoglycemic, it may become much more difficult to interpret the accuracy of those results. And so actually, I suppose for children where perhaps because of the presentation or perhaps because of the history of the, chi history of the child, 
uh, you've got a concern that might be an underlying metabolic or endocrine disorder uh, that we haven't managed to pick up yet and are not in a situation where we can um, diagnose that more accurately because we've not had tests done during a period of hypoglycemia. We do bring some children in and uh, we'll do a controlled fast in a hospital setting where they perhaps already have IV access or, or can uh, have IV access put in fairly readily um, such that when they do, when their blood sugar finally does slip down, we can do those tests straight away, uh, be sure that we've done it at a period of hypoglycemia, and then they can feed uh, or have IV glucose straight away, depending on uh, what their situation is. But done in a very controlled, yes. safe manner. Yeah, so sort rather of than... starve these kids overnight mm. and then stab them yeah. as soon as they become hypoglycemic. Mm. I mean, what sort of things, I guess, in the, say, the history or the examination might make you think you need to come back mm. for, for one of these fasting tests. Are there, are there any things that you'd be looking out for? So I think um, a lot of the, for example, metabolic causes of um, of hypoglycemia um, may feature a metabolic acidosis. And they may be quite unwell when they first come in. As you say, it might well be that actually um, we've missed that initial opportunity because they've already been had their hypoglycemia uh, treated. Um, but, for example, a metabolic acidosis, a high lactate, perhaps even something like deranged LFT, might all indicate that actually this is not, say, your straightforward 24-hour history of gastroenteritis with very poor oral intake. It might be something else going on. Um, equally with, for example, endocrine causes, there might be a, a preceding history, say, for example, with adrenal insufficiency, a history of weakness and lethargy, perhaps, you know, poor tolerance to stress, to whether that's exercise, physical stress or uh, or illness. Um, and those are things where you really want to try and be picking those up sooner rather than later, because obviously the, um, the consequences that for those children who um, are not yet picked up. Um, fasting is a is a concern, is a danger to them, and they need emergency plans effectively so that their parents can know uh, when they need to act and bring them in. Um, yeah, and I guess from an ED perspective, one of the great difficulties, challenges, is here's a kid who's got clearly got DNV, mm. who's got totally well otherwise mm. totally well normally comes mm. in with a bit of a low sugar and i think oh, do i really really need to yeah. do a glucose and all these thousands of tests on this really well looking child surely if i just stop the vomiting mm. um i guess the flip side to that is maybe this is the first presentation of their metabolic disorder and it's the first time they've been stressed yeah absolutely and i suppose the younger they are the more likely that might be to be the case so you would hope probably that your 10-year-old um, would have presented before now. I mean, it's interesting. I have always, I always assumed, um, particularly prior to a, a recent interesting case that I saw, that a lot of metabolic things would be picked up in the early days, you know, in the neonatal and, and young months of infancy. But I suppose, actually, in, in those circumstances, you know, babies feed very frequently, don't they? Actually, their opportunities to be fasted are few and far between. And then even when they're uh, moving up in the months and perhaps sleeping through the night, they probably have a late night bottle, have an early morning bottle. So perhaps they never get exposed to um, those opportunities to see that uh, metabolic disorder, for example, start manifesting. Um, and so... Uh, you know, we have had some interesting cases where children have shown up a little bit later than you might have expected with a metabolic disorder. I suppose age is one feature. Um, perhaps other slightly unusual features um, you, you might look at and think. So, for example, for a child who's vomiting but has no fever, 
and is lethargic and actually a little bit um, not quite maybe not fully encephalopathic but just a little bit unusual you know your gut instinct as a clinician might be to say this doesn't feel like a gastroenteritis of course for the for example the child whose entire family have riddled with dnv and they've all had it that makes it hopefully that much more likely that it's just a gastroenteritis that you get get them over as you say the the nausea the vomiting um and their sugar will pick back up uh, and i think thinking about things like i guess growth as well is this a child yeah. who's normally growing well um and i guess also asking a bit about um history of of uh, stillbirth or, or yes. fetal, uh, you know, loss in pregnancy yeah. might be representing an underlying something genetic that's inherited as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing, I guess, sort of as a slight pushback is from, say, the pre-hospital guys would be to say, well, we're, we're kind of bound by... If they're hypoglycemic, you've got to do something mm. about it. Yeah. Um, and if something goes wrong and I don't treat because yeah. you want to do your clever tests, it's me who's going to get it in the neck and not you. Yeah. That's hard, isn't it? It is hard. I suppose one of the most important things is just that we know about it, uh, that it is declared to us. Because sometimes um, I can un completely understand how, especially in a, the context of a child who's quite unwell at the time that the paramedics pick them up, that little seed of inform information might just get lost amongst the rest of it. Um, and actually, even if we are aware that they were initially hypoglycemic, that, that has subsequently come up because they've had some glucogel or some leucosate or something like that. I think it's just important that we know about that because that might well come up if they are a child who is, for example, admitted. They may become hypoglycemic again during that admission. Actually, if we're primed and prepared for that, we can have made the plan already that if they become hypoglycemic again, we could do those tests. Or that if it's a child whose history or presentation makes a little bit more suspicious, we can start thinking about whether we should be looking to bring them back. If not for a control fast, at least to a clinic perhaps, where we can sort of think about whether they've got other features that we need to be more mindful of. Um, so, But I do, I do understand. I think it's very difficult for paramedics, as you say, especially the further away they are. They're thinking, how do I treat this child? What can I do? Um, they're bound to be in a situation where they're going to have to treat some. But as long as I think we know about it... Um, that's at least something we can we can take that information forward. I think that's a very pragmatic because it's easy for us to say, well, look, they're fine. Mm -hmm. They were asymptomatic of their hypoglycemia. Why did you do this? You've spoiled yeah. all the bloods. That's easy for us to say in a nice controlled hospital yeah. setting, really, isn't it? Um, and in terms of how many of these kids do we sort of pick up i mean of those kids who are going to be hypoglycemic i'm mm. guessing and are otherwise well yeah. and i've got a bit of dnv the vast majority of them are just going to be i've got a bit of dnv yeah but i guess there's the odd one that isn't exactly yeah and i suppose it's about how wide are we casting our net that we try and pick up that that one in gosh who knows how many hundred thousand potentially even i suppose there are some disorders out there that are incredibly rare um but knowing about them is really important because at the minimum, they may get an emergency plan and they may actually do fairly well. For some of them, actually, it may pose a recurring problem. It may pose a risk that actually going forward in life, they have to plan for the trips they take. Um, you know, holidays abroad even, you know, become a, a question of how, how much of a fast could this child tolerate. And uh, I think many places do have a hypoglycemia box. 
yes. uh, which is often lists, here mm. are all the blood tests that you need to do, yeah. and here's what you need to do about it once you've done it. Yeah. That seems a very sensible thing to do to me. Yeah, definitely. And, and just have the ability to recognise that hypoglycemic box. I mean, I think in most trusts it's orange. I don't know if it's necessarily always that colour, um, but knowing where that box is, where to find it, because you might well be just the person who's passing by when actually someone becomes hypoglycemic. Um, it usually contains, I think, in addition to your oral forms of glucose, like glucogel, glucojuice, um, it usually often contains the higher percentage of dextrose that you might find slightly harder to come by on, on a standard ward, um, and yet which might be quite important in, in profound or persistent hypoglycemia. And also glucagon as well, which... Um, it's important to note may not always work in certain metabolic disorders, but um, you may need to try it before, certainly before they've got a diagnosis. If they've got, they're really, if you're really struggling with their hypoglycemia, uh, but yes, uh, hopefully, if even if the list of investigations is not in the hypo box, hopefully you'll have a guideline uh, that you can consult. Um, some um, hospitals make up ready-made packs for hypoglycemia investigations as well, which is useful. The very forward-thinking ones. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, brilliant. So, uh, you know, these are something that. We learn about for exams. Mm. You're very unlikely to see, but you might just do. And it, maybe it's the, the, I guess the take home is think about it, have it in your yeah, mind. Absolutely, definitely. Because uh, as you say, for those um, children who perhaps they've had their hypoglycemia treated pre hospital, um, it would be really easy, wouldn't it, to say, oh, they were, they did have a low blood sugar and now they don't, and to not necessarily take that thought any further. But actually, um, for some children, that will have been one of the only signs we've had that there's something else going on with them. Um, and actually, yes, to just to have that thought, even if you're not in a position to be able to do anything about it straight away, um, to contemplate whether they need further investigations at some point, or whether there's other features in the history that we need to go back and just probe a little bit more. Um, like you say, for growth, family history, questions we might not necessarily have asked under the other circumstances, but we should be asking for these patients. That's brilliant. As in all, as always, in, often in paediatrics, you know, if you don't think it, who, who is going to think it? Yeah, Perfect. Brilliant. That's great. Thank, Thank you. you. I shall be thinking about it vigilantly <laughs> with all the vomiting kids that I'm going to see over winter. Excellent. <laughs> brilliant. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you very much indeed.